1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Welcome to the New Books Network. So, today we are here with author Nita Sweeney to talk about her recent publication, Depression Hates a Moving Target How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink. So, this book really spoke to me as a person who's just picked up running in the past year or so and has uh, struggled with mental health as well, and have found that this type of exercise in particular has surprisingly helped. Um, so I'm really excited to talk with you about this book, Nita, and uh, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me here. This is like my favorite thing to talk about in the world, besides dogs. I like dogs, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, we'll definitely talk about dogs. That's a that's a, definitely a part of your work. Um, so maybe we could start off with you introducing yourself and sort of your motivations for writing this book. Well,
1: I have lived with Chronic depression and bipolar disorder, probably most of my life, but it was wasn't diagnosed until maybe ten years ago. It, it, the depression was, but the bipolar wasn't. And I had a year where a whole bunch of people died on top of the normal, you know, depression that I was already dealing with, the chronic recurrent depression I was dealing with. And I saw the social media post of this friend of mine. I'm sitting there on the sofa, not sure if there were bonbons, but you know, there might have been. And she said, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And I really, I really kind of thought that we needed to call someone to get help for her. Because I just had never thought of running as fun. And she was not athletic. Uh, She and I were kind of horse people. But I was in marching band, you know, in high school. and we were about the same age, same size, all that kind of thing. So I watched her for a while. And I was at this place in my life where I gained a ton of weight between just life choices and meds and I don't know, middle age, whatever. And she seemed to be having fun and I sure wasn't. And so one day I reached up the dog as a decoy, our yellow Labrador, Morgan, and took him down into this hidden ravine with my digital kitchen timer. I think I had Velcro sneakers on. I mean, it was, you know, not exactly running gear. And um, I jogged for 60 seconds because ha- she was doing this interval training plan. And I swear if it had said anything other than 60 seconds or if it had said running instead of jogging, I swear I wouldn't have tried it. I really think I wouldn't have. Um, but that's just the place I was in because I had just gotten to the I mean, I was I was suicidal. I don't know how else to say it. I was trying to decide whether I should even stay on the planet. And I just thought <laughs> this was kind of a last ditch effort. And what was so weird is I very quickly started to feel a tiny sense of accomplishment, just even in that few minutes of that workout, which I think the total workout was maybe 20 minutes. And I thought, okay, well, we'll try. I think it was three days a week. Well, we'll try the next one, see how it goes. You know, I went home and took a nap. Um, So it wasn't a momentous change, but it built pretty quickly over time. And that's, yeah, I, don't, I had never really thought of myself as athletic. I had tried to run when I was much, much younger, but it was really sprinting. I was just trying to lose weight. It wasn't, you know, the kind of running I do now at all. So that's, yeah, my my high school friend is really what got it all started.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like that, that speaks to like the power of having like a, a network, even when you Feel so down and like you don't want you don't like want people around you, but like in a, in a way you you definitely need need a push to help get out of those those uh, mental states for sure. And now I I have a group that
1: I run with, which I'm a, a real introvert, and I would never have thought that I would be in this big group of runners that sometimes travel together to races, and that's just not me. And yet here I am, and um, it really really works. I think that's the thing about running that I didn't understand is I thought of runners as these really skinny people who had to be really super fast. They had to wear a certain type of clothes, which of course I kind of now wear that type of clothes, but you don't have to. Um, and then when I thought about a training group, you know, I was thinking like a football team. It just seemed awful. And it's turned out to be
0: a really good fit for me. So,
1: you kind know, I have to let go of what I thought and
0: make new, uh, make new conclusions. Yeah, it's hard to let go of those expectations. Um, I feel like something that, like a quote that you have is like that running with others is a way to be social without being overwhelmed, like, because like, you're all running in a group, but like, how much talking and interaction are you actually really, really doing? I mean, you do
1: talk, it depends on how fast you're going to, But, um, but even if there's like, our running group is very large, and our pace group is one of the largest ones, but even when you're in a group, you really can only talk to maybe the person right next to you or maybe the person in front of you or behind you. It's not like you're going to be talking to all 30 people at the same time. You just can't, especially on a trail where you have to let bikes pass and other people coming opposite direction. So it's it, that's exactly right. That's been my
0: experience. I feel like something else that you said about uh, like the image of – of like what a runner is um so i guess i'm, I'm kind of curious as to how one or hmm, sort of like how and why did you go from it just feels to it feels good to be moving to like i want to run a 5k to i want to run a half marathon like sort of how did um those like transitions and identity shifts sort of happen for you for you
1: that was my sister's fault really so the kind of <laughs> <laughs> the sad part of the story, but also kind of the funny part of the story, the, one of the people who died the, in the years before the, on the sofa seeing the social media post incident was my 24-year-old niece, Jamie. She had cancer, and she was my sister, my older sister's only child. And my sister had gotten involved after Jamie's death with a group that raises money for cancer research. For the type of cancer, um, sarcoma, osteosarcoma that Jamie died from. And so her group was having a 5K. And I made the mistake of telling her that I was doing this training plan. I think I said, I'm running, which of course I was running 60 seconds and then walking for three minutes. And you know, it wasn't, it was like I was running. Up and uh, she said, Oh, let's do this race. And there was a one mile loop and she was going to walk that. And then she said, You could do the 5K. And, And my immediate response was, no, 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 no. I am a private runner. No, 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 no. And so it took me not that long, but it took me a little while to kind of get over myself and remember my niece and how hard she struggled and, you know, how much we missed her. And and so I said yes. And that was, that really is when things opened up. Because I'd been online with some running people to kind of find out about, you know, this training plan that I was even struggling doing that. And to find out, I don't know, just different things about shoes and, I don't know, what do you do? Um, And so when I went to the 5K and saw in real life, all these people from every age group, every size, shape, race, wearing all kinds of different gear or not gear or cotton and spandex and, I mean, just everything with their dogs, with their strollers by themselves, you know, way to really go. I mean, everything, it just it just blew open all my misconceptions about the running community. And especially at charity races, this is true, because they're there to raise money. There's always, you know, most charity races, there's um, a prize or there's medals or something for people who win the race or get the you know, age group's awards. But it's, it's more about raising the money and having fun and remembering and things like that. So it um, it really was my sister's fault. But I didn't even tell my husband for a little while. And then eventually I told him and then I told her. And, and then other friends started asking me weird things like, did you get a haircut or did they change our meds? It was just these weird questions because I hadn't told anybody. And they could tell within, I'd say a month or a couple months, they could tell that there was something different about me. And um, the 5K became another kind of springboard. And then... I got so excited about these events, I wanted to do something else with I had to do a turkey trot, and then there was a holiday. You know, it was just like a kind of a thing. Yeah, and then when I wanted to do a half marathon, that's when I joined the big group that I was terrified of them. But what was so funny about that is, you know how um, if you buy a car, often you buy one because you haven't seen one just like it, and then you drive it off the lot. I always call it the powder blue pinto effect. It's like you've never seen a powder blue. And then you drive it off the line and you see 10 powder blue pinters on the Well, it's sort of like that with running. I started telling more people about it. Turns out people I knew, I mean, people I knew really well were runners. And were in this running group. I had no idea because we just didn't talk about it. And so um, that was a real permission and, I don't know, just a, a way to feel like, okay, okay, I can do this. And, you know, I was totally paranoid showing up and it was totally fine. But I tend to, I tend toward paranoia. So that's just kind of, it's always like my first response is, oh my gosh, and then I calm down and show up and it's okay. But yeah, that's how, when I wanted to train for have marathon, because I didn't know how to do it. And I needed help. I needed support. I needed a training plan. I needed water on the trail. You know, that kind of stuff. So that got me into it.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel like maybe, where, where I am at in a parallel journey is like, I, I, I'm comfortable at running and I can do it, but I'm afraid to take that leap of like, that becoming a public runner. So, <laughs> it's so nerve wracking, even though like, I totally acknowledge, like you just said that like five days, it's just like, it, it's chill. like No one's there. It's not, it's, it's a race by like name alone. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, but pick a charity race. That's the thing is, cool. yeah. And especially a charity that's close to your heart because I, if it had been some other charity, I'm not sure I would have shown up and I would have let my fear, um, well, it would have kept me from going probably or signing up at all. But the fact that it was so close to my heart and so important to my sister, it just, I mean, i the, the thing about having mental health issues that is often confusing to people who, don't know people or have an experience that is that we look really selfish you know well i mean she died for goodness sakes how could i not do a 5k for this woman who died and yet i almost couldn't because my self-preservation instinct was so strong and that the voices that are i don't have like schizophrenia voices or anything like that but i have um my internal voices my inner critic voices And they get so loud, telling me things that, as it turns out, aren't true, but it's hard not to believe them. And so that's why I um, am really glad that my sister encouraged me to do something that was so close to my heart because that helped me. I mean, I say I get out of myself, get over myself, but in a good way, because I otherwise I would have probably listened to that paranoia and just I'd still be running down the ravine. Which wouldn't be a bad thing. It's a nice for me. But still I wouldn't have had nearly as much fun. Um.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that kind of speaks to the like importance of having like a sort of like the success scaffolding outside of yourself. So I guess I'm kind of curious as to how you ended up having such a strong running community and how did it how did it feel like to, to join one? Like you talk about like the Penguin Forums and the MIT training group that you had.
1: Yes, yeah, so well MIT, I'm still in that group. And there, uh, we always joke about being a cult, like once you get in, you can't get up. But it's it's very, it's set up, it's structured with support. So each pace group has, they used to call them coaches, I think they call them pacers now, but it has individuals who are kind of in charge of the group. They make sure everybody gets, in mean, somebody says hello to you and ask you how your run went after and. There's an email that you get every week to remind you where to show up and things like that. So it is, it's exactly that stuff that I'm, and I could have, you know, I could have ducked out. I could have decided that wasn't for me, but I wanted to run the half marathon too. And so it was just the kind of thing where I, I did it incrementally enough. Um, I talk a lot about desensitization because that's been something that has really worked well for me with a lot of the anxiety and paranoia issues is trying things in itsy-bitsy doses and then repeating them until you get used to them. So, uh, and that's very much what kind of the the way I did Couch to 5K is. But that's what it is with the group. So you show up every Saturday morning. You keep showing up, showing up. And then the training plan is such that, you know, you run two miles. And then the next week you run three. And then the next week you run four. And then you fall back to two. And so you're you're in this kind of process with everybody else. Everybody else is talking about what their race they're doing, and especially at the beginning, most of the people who start are um, running with the groups they call it their goal race. So that I'd say seventy percent of the people in the group are training for the same race too. And so you know, I can ask somebody who's run the Cap City half marathon. Well, what's it like? What's the course like? What do I, where do I show up? What do I do? And that kind of thing. And so you have you have the structure of the training plan. You have the structure of the routine. You have the support of the people. And then the emails come. So it's, it's this whole kind of system that they've created to really, really help people succeed. You know, I'll say it's a, the guy who's really in charge of it, Jeff Henderson, is just an amazing human being to begin with. And a lot of runners are, and he's just really good at this. And so that made me feel really welcome, too. Although he did. It was very funny because I was trying to talk him. I was trying to get him at an info session before I actually went. I kept telling him all the reasons that I couldn't participate. And he would say, well, that that just sounds like this person and then finally said oh yeah well my mom is you know 68 and she's doing it and i'm thinking oh oh i i have one now she's 70 71 i think we may even have a woman in our group with 75 and i'm thinking well that kind of just blew any excuse i possibly <laughs> and that was just when he was just calm you know whatever if you want to not calm, that's fine but he would just I'd give him an excuse, and he'd just give me the solution. I'd give him another excuse, <laughs> and I didn't think of them as solutions or as excuses, rather, they seemed like genuine concerns that would prevent me from doing this impossible thing, which I eventually did. So, so yeah. What have you? Do you have any races in mind? Have you thought of doing that, or are you just? I mean, you just run for fun. That's the funny people just run for fun, and they don't ever do a race, and you don't have to. Yeah. You know. But uh, but what happens though is your radar is turned on now, and so at some point something will drop in, and if you press that, then the time would be right. So, you run neighborhood. i tuned. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, stay tuned. So, where do you run? You run in your neighborhood, or where, where do you run?
0: Yeah, just around my neighborhood, and then like some some trails nearby. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah that's, yeah,
1: that's pretty much where I run. I run in our neighborhood, and then the group runs on a couple different trails. We try to, we're so big that we change locations each week. We rotate among, I think, four or five locations. Otherwise,
0: we're always you know, clogging this one. Kind of <laughs> and there, I mean, oh, there's, there's that there. running group again.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's actually I've the, done that
0: street on Saturday. <laughs> that's kind of what happens, yeah. <laughs> we do have water that anybody can use.
1: That's nice. Oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, kind of getting back to the the sort of like the community question. I, if, a lot of the times in your book, you describe um, other support systems, like sort of outside of like the running group as such. Um, in particular, your husband and your dog. Um, so maybe you could um, help ex- or help uh, describe sort of like their influence and impact on your um, running success story.
1: Absolutely. Um, my husband is incredible, I have to say. I've been very, very fortunate to have met him and been married to him a very long time. And he's kind of stoic, and so he didn't get real excited. He'd also, you know, seen the mini trampoline men in the basement and the aerobics classes. And I think we had the aerobic step thing, the pole, and we've had all of the stuff. And... So he didn't get terribly excited when I finally did tell him that I was trying this interval plan. But he just watched and encouraged me. And then eventually when I wanted to do the 5K, he went with me and took pictures. And he's been to a lot of the races, but now I've done enough of them that he's, he's kind of over it. He really is kind of over it. But uh, but he felt like we, we just got back from Virginia Beach. We went to a half marathon. Um, some of my friends went and did their first marathon. And... Um, and then some other friends did half marathon. And he went, but on race day, he just stayed in a hotel, you know, stared out at the ocean. It was gorgeous. We had a great room. So, you know, and then he met me afterwards. But it, it's not like the original day where he was right in the finish chute. I and he was right there waiting for me. Which great. But uh, but now he also knows I'm going to be okay. And he knows I have my friends. And, and I. you know, that too, I'm that happy. you're going to be okay, right? Like, yeah, that's have a idea around it, too. Right, he knows that I know I'm going to be okay too. So, um, so yeah. But uh, but yeah, he's been a great support, and, and he and we're we're planning this crazy trip where I'm going to run all these half marathons in a very short period of time, and he gets to go to the presidential libraries in the states that he hasn't gone to. So, yeah, that's how we do it. We, we go to museums or the presidential libraries, and then I run a race. And that's like kind of our show. But the dog, the dog at first was a decoy, Morgan kind of because I wanted the neighbors to think that I was just walking the dog down to the ravine. And the ravine, it's a floodplain, so there's like a creek with a little street that runs next to it. And so the houses are set way back, so they can see me, but it's not like running right past somebody's house. It's very secluded. And uh, it's also very green and beautiful. So, um... I took him down there, and what I realized after, I don't know, it was a few times of running, I think it was maybe maybe a few weeks at least, when I started to talk to the penguins about kind of how to run, because, I mean, I'm, I know how to run, everybody knows how to run, but yet I also knew that there was probably some technique or something, because I, wasn't, I didn't look like, my stride wasn't the same as other people, I saw. so I asked people like that. And I noticed that my dog had this kind of perfect stride. He just was, his back was just flat and his little feet just lifted up. So he didn't bounce. His whole body was going the exact direction that he was going. Everything was pointed forward. And so he kind of became my coach in the sense that I could look at him and think, oh my gosh, that's what I want. All my parts that are going forward to be going forward. And not bounce and all that stuff. And as later on, when I actually studied uh, form, that's exactly what they taught me. The other thing was his excitement because he, we had walked before, but I had been so overweight and so chronically depressed that I couldn't walk very far or very fast. And so he got excited anytime I mean, I'd even walk past my shoes when we were going. <laughs> but God help me if I accidentally turned on the timer or picked something, you know, or I put the clothes on, anything like that. He would just get so crazy excited. And that was really helpful. That was really helpful because I would still talk myself out of it. I wouldn't think, oh, I just can't really do this. I mean, that's the brain thing, doesn't, it takes a long time for that to change. It. And there are days when I'm still like that. I mean, really, years later, I'm still. Oh my gosh! It's so cold out. Or so um, so having a dog to to help me, give me that look, get the look, and then they start bouncing, and the tail goes, and the ears go up, and there's just nothing like it. So so he is my comrade. So yeah, that was a great switch system. And I think I think that even if I hadn't joined the running group, you know, having my husband and the dog um, see the progress and note the progress. Um, and the dog kind of cheering me on in his own canine way was still very, very helpful. I was helping to hit a dog. Hit a dog. <laughs> a dog.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, that you you bring up a few times is like how you, were, you would listen to your, sort of going off of uh, what you just said about the sort of like picking up the dog's, your dog's excitement. Um, it's like you listening to like your inner three-year-old and like celebrating your accomplishments and like getting the attention and being like, yeah, I'm so great. I just really like that. that. I thought that was sweet. Uh... Yeah, i definitely, I definitely have an inner three-year-old definitely still.
1: And also I, in the book I did this, I didn't, it wasn't necessarily conscious when I was writing it, but of course in revision you realize that you've done things and they're fine is that I would, it's almost like I would hear Morgan talking to me. Of course, he's not talking to me. But he would give me these looks or tilt his head. Or, and I. it was almost like I could hear his voice, Mom, let's go. Come on, Mom, let's go. And uh, so I I tried to voice that in the book a little bit just to uh, get what was going on in my head, projecting into his head. But it was, you know, it was from the, the tilt of the head and the tail up and the ears and all that. You could really tell how excited he was.
0: Yeah, I I could definitely see that, especially like, like the whole like Pebble Vean training, right? Like if like your running timer goes off, your dogs learn to be like, that means it's time to run. And like you, you do too. You know, you're just like your dog tilts ahead and you're just like, Yeah, you want to go for a walk. I'd also want to go for a run. You're right, let's go. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly. And still
1: just he, clear, he would be clear across the house and their hearing is so much better than ours. Their vision, their hearing, their smell. And so, actually, um, I'm not sure if I can, their smell and their hearing, especially. And I would just barely even touch anything that was related to running, and he would just come flying, flying across the house. And yeah.
0: Good boy. The bestest boy. <laughs> I feel like, too, some of that you said about, like, even even now, even though you're. More of a you 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 probably said that you are a runner, but like when you were still forming that identity, that it was just really hard to make the choices to go running. That it's like making it as easy as possible, like having breaking it down to like the smallest component is yes, like yes. so so critical. That's
1: I don't I'm not sure if I said that actually in a book, but I said in a, in a what kind of a class lecture kind of thing I gave that. And it's sort of the atomic habits thing, but the way I put it is make, choose your goal and then chunk it down into steps that are so tiny you can't fail. So it's, I mean, it's actually just getting out of bed. It's just, you know, putting on your clothes and it's not even all of your clothes. It's just like putting on your tights or your leggings, whatever you're wearing in and then putting on your socks and then one shoe and then the other shoe and it's just tiny little steps. And don't decide if you're going to go wearing it. Just put on your clothes first. And then you can decide. And then, you know, and then sometimes I'll say, just go stand outside. Don't even decide You're going to just stand outside. And eventually, you know, your neighbors just start staring at you. And then <laughs> they like, oh, I better go. <laughs> Most of them are not paying any attention. But, you know, it's just that it's anything that you can do, anything that you can do at all to, uh, uh. Just help motivate you. Especially, and again, I don't know if if all runners are like this. I know a lot of the ones that I know are. But those of us who have the mental health challenges, this kind of stuff is essential. I and mean, this is how I live my life is by chunking everything down. You know, When I'm writing, it's just open the file. Just open the file. That's the way I have to do it.
0: Yeah, I feel like a, a chunk that I've recently learned is when I'm done running, untie the laces so that when I yes. go to put them on, it's not like harder.
1: No, it, and it's it's so just a tiny thing. It's so ridiculous.
0: Like if they're tied, I'm like, nah, I'm not. I'm not running today. Never I completely get that. I completely get that. So silly. If they're
1: tied, that's just an extra step. And there are days when that extra step is the difference between me and success. It is. So making it as easy. And, and then the other part that I've had to do is just be okay with that. And sometimes that's as hard. I mean, I I laugh at myself for being ridiculous, but the truth is I just, I have to do it this way and I get it done, but I have to do it that way. And I have to let that, I have to let that be okay.
0: Yeah. So sort of jumping back to something that you just said about um, how you also use this like small chunking into small parts into your writing. Um, I guess I'm kind of wondering how did running help with your writing and kind of vice versa? Especially since like in the, in the book you talk about like form and how both of these ideas are almost tied to like the idea of like meditation, since all three of these like running, writing and like the meditation practice like require like huge chunks of time and mental attention to accomplish something. Um, so I guess I'm just wondering how did um, these three things sort of influence each other um, in your in your life and practice? Well, the way I wove them together because I'm always writing, that's sort
1: of my thing. I've just always been writing for many, many years. And in, I think it was in Map My Run was the app I was using at the time. There was this question, how did it go? And so I would, I don't, I'm not sure I set a timer, but I would just sit down and do, essentially, a writing practice of how it went. And it would include a lot of sensory detail, because that's the thing about writing pra- practice is a little bit different than journaling, is it would be the dogs we saw, their names, the people we saw, if I knew their names, I'm more likely to know the dog's name than the person's name. How it went on, um, if anything hurt, did I try anything new? What did I wear and what was the weather so that you can remember next time? Oh, yeah, that's how they wore that on this day. Things like that. And so that kind of um, incorporated the writing into the running in a way because I wasn't, when I was running, I wasn't thinking about the fact that I was going to write that. But yet there was kind of a good feeling that I knew when I get, got home, I would be writing too. And then that was the basis of um that's where I, I mean, that, that wasn't the book, I didn't just like cut this, but I mined that for the facts, so that's how I knew how far I ran and you know, things like that, um, and stuff of the details that you might forget, that's how I needed. But yeah, and then it's interesting you brought up the meditation because I'm actually... Um, working on a book that's going to come out in August. It's about how to meditate while you run. It's actually how you do, how to meditate during any kind of movement, not just running, but any kind of movement. And so I have been meditating for many, many years, more than 20 years, maybe 25 years, I think at this point. And so I'm sort of meditating a lot of the time, and it didn't take me too long to realize That I could meditate while I was running if I just focused on something. I just had to choose something to focus on. And so that became part of it too. And I still did, I still do sitting practice and I still did sitting practice at that time. But it sort of felt like double duty because here I was writing about running and then meditating while I was running. But I want to answer, I think what may be a more important question is how did running benefit my writing because. I had tried to get a book published, which I still hope to publish someday, and I now realized it didn't have the stamina. I finished drafts of it, I finished, you know, multiple, multiple drafts of it, but there's a physical and an emotional stamina that you come up against. It's very much like the wall in a race, almost any, that we, that people talk about the wall in a marathon, but there can be a wall in a 5K, too, especially depending on, you know, where you are in your training and where, how long you've been running. And so it felt like I hit that wall with writing. And so building the mental and emotional and physical stamina from long distance writing helped me kind of push over that line and be able to finish something much longer and polish it well enough that it, it was ready for publication. Cause that's what that's, I couldn't get past that. You know, I could get the long thing done. I could do some edits. Um, I could even get a decent draft. But there's that final push that um, i never had children. But that's what I was thinking. It was like that. Oh, I gotta push, you know. And I just didn't have that in me. So I really feel like the the book was it was like the right book at the right time, kind of for the world because awareness of mental health was really coming to the fore and running continues to grow it it kind of ebbs and flows but um it has sort of been growing again and the publisher was ready for that book too they were I don't know maybe five years old they weren't very old so they were kind of ready to take risks on people like me who hadn't this is my first book I had some other publishing credits but I didn't have a ton of publishing behind me I didn't have a huge platform I had a small platform um, so they were ready to take a risk, and <clears throat> I was ready to step forward. So it just felt like a thing just kind of came together with it. That um, I mean, it took persistence. I pitched it a lot of places before I found them. But um, but yeah, it's it's the running just it made a huge difference in so many areas in my life,
0: especially the running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like uh, I I don't know too much about meditation, but I feel like a lot of it comes down to having, like, a patience and a a presence and, like, knowing that things are going to come to be when they need to. So that's really uh, cool to hear that everything sort of, like, aligned itself um, for you um, during either, like I guess, during the running process or during writing a different other book's process.
1: It was really during this book process that because I started writing this book, when I started, uh, like after, it was really after I ran that first half marathon. Uh, and that's when people really started noticing a change. And, and I started having side effects from the medicines I'd been on. And so we had to reduce the doses. Not because I, I had I tried to reduce the doses before and not work. So there were all these different pieces that were happening. And so I thought, my goodness, I, I have a story here about, Trying to run the marathon, And then once I ran a, a full marathon, that's, a, that's not a spoiler, that's what the book's about, me running a marathon. And um, once I had that, I knew that there was something to tell. And I always like to say this because it's, it's important for me to remember. I thought I was writing a book about a middle-aged woman who is a couch potato and, you know, loses weight and runs a marathon. But actually, I was writing about a person who wasn't sure she wanted to live and saving her own life. That's really what it is. And I, I know that, you know, sometimes I'm not sure that completely comes across in the book because I'm very, very careful, maybe too careful, in the book to say that running did not cure me. Because I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying, oh, just go run, you'll be fine, go off your meds. That's not my experience. I still take medication. I still see a therapist. I still have a huge support network. Those are all really important. I still meditate and do my writing part. I have lots of, I have like a big toolkit, a very hefty toolkit of, of things I use. But running is, became, it was sort of like the missing piece. It was the physical part. I had the kind of the mental thing with writing. And then I had, I mean, you can call it the inside thing, spiritual heart, whatever, of meditation. Um, but. There wasn't really much going on with my body, except those bonbons were being ingested, you know.
0: And that wasn't
1: going well at all. So once I had the running and I started getting the, I call them the happy brain chemicals, you know, um, then things really started to change and click and come together. And I still had bad days. I still had days where I, you know, just feel like, oh, yeah, this this is you. This is your life. But it's so much better. Oh, my gosh, it's so much better really grateful
0: for that. Yeah. I think like it's an in impressive and sort of like a testament to like your, the happy brain chemicals of like going outside or, or exercising to, to really play a part in like all the other components that, that you just mentioned of like having a spiritual life and being on medication and having a support network, but just like having the, that last piece. Yeah. That's powerful. But kind of talking about... Excuse
1: me. I, I just want to say that, you know, I have the medication and therapy, and that's I've always had that, and I probably always will. But I, but the pieces that I was in control of, I always think of it like a three-legged stool. So I had the writing, and then I had the meditation, and I was missing what, for me, is running. But it could be for somebody else's Zumba, somebody else's pickleball, somebody else's disc golf, you know, just something where I'm moving my body. And, and especially for me, I need to be outdoors a little bit. You know, I have to be outdoors part-time. And so uh, so that parts that I could control, that I could contribute, it's like a three-legged stool without all those pieces that just topples over. And that's what I was sort of trying to stand on, just to, you know, sit on a stool that only had two legs on it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important part that you like, mentioned at the end. It's just like, you don't need to be a runner. You just need to, like, find a thing, you know. Yeah,
1: yep. just find a form of movement. It, I think it helps if you break a sweat, but it might not, you might not even have to break a sweat. You just need to get your heart rate up a little bit and yeah. mm-hmm. breathing. So you're getting a little more oxygen and get the heart rate up because that's what starts making the happy brain chemicals. So mm-hmm. That
0: all floods here. Definitely brain. a lot of studies, like scientific studies that have <laughs> shown a lot of that.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And unfortunately, they're starting to come to the fore now. They've actually been, the studies have been there for a long time. But they were always buried maybe you know, on page seventeen of the New York Times or the New York or whatever they'd never make the front page and now they're starting to um, make the front page and the, I think too you know it could be marketing, but the the running companies and the fitness companies and the they're trying to sell things, but they've got science behind them that's saying, yeah, we're trying to sell you these shoes, but if you go out there and use them, you're gonna feel better and I'm not just going yeah. your feet. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it takes a little bit for the, like a. The the consensus beyond just like the scientific sphere to adopt. Yes. adopt these things. So. Yes, but, it does it
1: take a while.
0: That it makes sense. Up.
1: There's always a lag. Hmm.
0: Um. But I guess kind of talking about, maybe not, maybe medicine more broadly. Um. So sort of like with with any physical activity, especially one that's like super straining, there's like bound to be injury and things like that. So I'm just kind of curious, sort of like, how did, how you balanced um, training and maintaining performance with like healing and recovery. And I know in the, in the book, you talk about like an ongoing story with doctors, like kind of telling you not to run and like not necessarily supporting this habit. So I'm also curious as to why you kind of chose to ignore their advice and how you ended up like maintaining and managing like pain without causing more damage.
1: Yeah, well, it could have gone badly, but it didn't. Um, so here's the thing. I had a really strong gut sense um, about the benefits of the running. And I also knew that I, it wasn't like I was running really fast at all. Never will. And so I kind of considered the source, like the, the one doctor who specifically just forbade me to run, who I saw once and then left. He was a very sort of I don't know how else to say he was a giant overweight guy. He's been a football player. He hated running. Um, he's a doctor now, but and you know, just said running is like the worst thing ever. He just hated running, and I thought I'm just not sure if I want to take running advice or lack of you know not running advice from someone who hates who already just hates it. Seems like there's some bias there. And so um, and then my my primary care physician at the time she had been a runner but had had an injury was an accidental thing um so she couldn't run and again it was just sort of this i really want to talk to people who are running and so i eventually what what i ended up doing is talking to my psychiatrist who's not a runner at all but you know she sort of said this is going to be a gamble are you and, and she equated it to the medications that we take, because the mental health medications, some of them can be very hard on your body. They can be very hard on your kidneys. They can be very hard on your liver. The ones I'm taking now are not. I'm very grateful. One time I was on some that are very hard in life. And she said, it's, it's the kind of thing that if you're not on those medicines, you're not going to be alive at all. And so, yes, they're going to shorten your life, but they're also saving your life. And so... Maybe think about this in that way. And and she also said, which she kind of, we both laughed about that, She said, just be a moderate runner. And you no, know, I can't do anything moderate. I mean, I didn't think at the time that I was going to go crazy and do all these races I've done. But I just am not a moderate person. I'm
0: much more of an extreme person, intense. I'll, call it, I'll just call it intense. And so. I feel like if um, you're a marathoner, you have to be. I don't think there's, a, <laughs> there's no <in-between. laughs> in between. There's no in between. You definitely have to have a. It's a, well, it's high competition,
1: and I I always joke about having an infinite capacity for boredom, but that's I think that comes from the meditation because you get curious about what boredom feels like, and it becomes part of your practice. Everything can become like you know pain, anything. But I wasn't. Once I realized that I wasn't actually in pain, my foot would swell up, and then it would swell, it would you know go shrink back down, and sometimes it did that, and sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it still does, but the pain was more it went away pretty quickly and it wasn't painful anymore it's like the more i flexed it and you know the ankle just had to get used to running and so once i realized that okay i'm not in pain and the swelling is not as much as it was i just kept going and i had a friend once after she read the book she said so what did you do about your wonky ankle and i was like well i ran three full marathons and ultra marathon you know, thirty-one halves in nineteen states and a hundred shorter races, and she said, "So another thing. I'm like, "Yep, pretty much nothing." I mean, I iced it, I wore compression, yeah. I did all the stuff they told you to, um, but I kept running. And later, I don't think I've seen him yet. I don't think he's in the book. I have now a primary care physician who is a runner. In fact, he's the medical director, I think, for the Columbus Marathon. And and his point is. He doesn't want you to be in pain, but even if you're in a small bit of pain, as long as it's not changing your gait, so if you're not limping, you can still run to slow down, but it's almost better if you keep going, because you said when you stop, when everything freezes up, if you stop running for a while, then you have to kind of, it's not like you have to start again, but, um, but it's better to keep it moving. So even if it's walking, just keep the gent- keep the circulation going, keeping the gentle movement going, uh, do physical therapy, things like that. So I haven't had, you know, I'm knocking on wood because I did have one bad injury, bad injury, um, after, it's after the period of time that the book covers, and so I had to deal with that. Um, but I've been really, really fortunate that I had like a few weeks ago the dog slammed really hard into my leg. Something spooked both of us as I sliding off a house and it spooked the heck out of both of us, and I jumped and, you know, got slammed in the leg and <laughs> big head, and um. Uh, and so I had a huge, I didn't have a I mean, bruise outside, it was actually in, like next, next to my bone, but they couldn't see it. So I kept thinking, man, this feels like it's bruised but doesn't hurt at all. And the uh, first thing that I was broken, it wasn't broken. So I just had to do the thing where I didn't run for a while, because that was one thing. I didn't run for a while, I wore compression hose, I kept it elevated, I used ice, and you know, did the things I tell you and kept kept it moving, kept just very gentle movement, just easy walking, and it resolved itself, so... You know, it's just, um, it's definitely, oh, I don't know, just kind of a balance. But I'm also, I think I'm also hyper aware, um, they call it proprioceptive, where I'm aware of like my body sensations. And I think that comes partly, and may come naturally, but it's also from the meditation practice. Yeah. And so I know when something starts to hurt, and so I back off, whereas I know people who don't even realize that they're injured, and they just keep going. Because they're not awake, and so that I feel very fortunate to have that awareness, and that I think that helps. But I'm like knocking on every piece of wood here that I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to just Please, no, I don't. get injured.
0: Yeah, no one, no, no one wants to get injured, especially when like almost like it. Not that necessarily that your identity is tied to the the activity, the physical activity, but I feel like for a lot of athletes, it, it definitely can. Um, like, no, I am a runner, like I, I need this. If I don't do this then like the world is bleak and impossible.
1: Yeah, and, well and for yeah. me it, I mean it is partly an identity, but it feels like my medicine. It's one of my medicines, it's not my only medicine, but it feels very much like a treatment for my depression. And um in a way sometimes it'll bring me down from if I have like a hypomanic episode or the anxiety, it can cut right through anxiety and so it feels more than just—I mean, it definitely is identity, but it feels almost essential that way. And I know that you know there may come a day when I won't be able to, and I'll have to find some other activity that raises my heart rate um, to, you know, to get that same kind of benefit. And there are plenty of activities
0: right now I'm gonna. Yeah. So I guess um maybe kind of coming back to the idea of or kind of getting back to like running and sort of maybe a little bit of identity. Like, um, you mentioned a few times in your book that you said that you didn't feel like a runner, that like, you weren't a real runner unless you had like a midfoot strike or like some sort of outfit or like this idea. So I guess I'm kind of curious as to what you think now, like what, what makes a runner, like what sort of like changed during that, that running journey and like sort of, um, How and if, like I like in the in the book, you you sort of like it. Reads as if like you sort of worship these marathoners, and I'm I'm also wondering if that uh, sense of worth has transferred to sort of yourself.
1: Yes, yes, I I tried to convey that in the book, and I'm not sure I did, but
0: I thought on the marathon, so it's hard to right, right.
1: So I thought it was. I thought that when I um um. Ran the marathon, that that would be it, but now I was really rerun it. Mm-hmm. But it, um, I feel like I'm going to spoil it for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I've, I've, I've finished it. Well, I finished it. Okay, I you said, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I misunderstood what I you just said. I guess it was a podcast. Yeah. So, no, no, no. <laughs> so, um, um, the um, after the marathon, when I realized that that was just a peak experience, there was just one day I'm going to run on a Tuesday with the dog down the same street. I've run 70 times and it was just this moment of kind of realization and awe and wonder and wow. And that it was, it was so simple Runners run, run. that's it, runners run. If you, you know, have a, I don't know if you go run, you're a runner and they always say that you have to have, um, at one point, you have both feet off the ground because that's the difference between walking and running. When you, when in race walking, the race walkers they actually watch them and they have to always have one foot on the ground. And runners, at one point in the stride, even it could be just for a, a second, both feet are off the ground. I mean, they, could, they could be boom, boom, so close. But as you're just doing that, you're a runner. And you know, I know lots of people that are runners, but they actually walk. And that's, you know, they can run a race, but they're actually mostly walking. And it just, it just doesn't matter. That, that after, you know, it was like maybe three or four years, it might have on Wednesday, after the race. And the dog and I went out on our regular street. Nobody there. No training group. No cheering squad. No, you know, none of the hoopla. And it's just, you dog, know, that, and that's it. That, we're real. We're real runners. And so, so yeah, so now I'm really um, one of the big cheerleaders of telling everybody, oh my gosh, you're running, you're running, who you are. You know, because I think it's so, I think imposter syndrome is such a thing. I don't know if it's just our country or maybe it's where, I don't know what it is, but it has always been a thing for me and it's just such a thing. And so, um, so I just really encourage the people that are in the group that are, kind of newer to call themselves runners and to think about themselves as runners and you know just um do the thing and you're a runner and that's it you know? but yeah it, it took me a long time because I'm just uh I just have these mental issues that make things more difficult for me than <laughs> the average bear
0: yeah I don't know I mean I, I feel like a uh... Even for myself, I feel like it's hard for me to call myself a runner because I've like never done a race, you know, it's, like, it's, like, even even without like other hurdles. It's like you you don't feel like you're that identity until like you've accomplished the thing. Like you're not an author until you've published a book, even though you write every day, you know, so it's like one of those just one of those. I think it's just like a human thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a it's a hallmark and it's good to have goals. I mean, it's great to have goals. And to have um, it's kind of like that structure that we've talked about before, because that's the other thing about a race is when you sign up for a race, then it starts pulling you toward it. And it's like, oh yeah, there's that race. I better train. Oh my gosh. And uh, and the same thing. Like now it's deadlines with my editor. She gives me a deadline yeah. that really helps me because it pulls me toward it. Because I'm not I'm not externally motivated. I mean I'm driven, but that's not the same as being able to make my own goals and achieve them. I need external goals. And I'm okay with that now. I didn't used to, that was another thing I used to really be down on myself about, but no, I need those deadlines. I need that race to train for. I need that contest to enter. I need that you know, retreat, meditation retreat to go to,
0: um, to have that structure. And that's, I'm completely fine with that now. Yeah. Yes, when um, you 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 mentioned in the books this idea of like e, ichi or ichi, I think that's what it is. It's like when you focus on something down the path and it like draws you closer. I love yes. that idea. That's like yeah,
1: a, I, think it's, it's, I think it's from martial arts. Uh, I learned it in chi running, but yeah, it's the idea that if you and again, it's a very meditative thing because what you focus toward will pull you toward it. If it's ple- especially if it's pleasant, you know. Um, and in a race, it might be like the back of the person's shirt in front of you. <laughs> and so there's a pleasant thought of, oh, I might pass them. Um, and so you focus in and then completely relax and let that pull, that pull um, move you forward as opposed to trying to force yourself so much uh, to do it with your just your willpower, kind of work with your body.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that. that's like a, a good summation of of everything really, like you have, to, you have to know yourself, you have to know where you are, you have to know like a goal of where you're going, like sort of align align everything just right and have the right form and, and all that. And some days you have none of that. It all falls apart
1: and you run away. And that, that well, the consistency, that that comes from the meditation though, if you just show up um, and also years of writing practice, when you just show up at the page, show up at the page. And that's what happens with running. If you just show up, you just keep showing up, show up, and try not to judge how it's going to be. There's also this uh, saying: the first mile is a wire, um, because you're not warmed up yet. Everything feels ucky. It's like, ah, why do I even want to do this? What is this stupid sport? I need a smarter sport, you know. And and then you warm up, and then you get you know into it, and your stride gets better, and things, all your joints get kind of lubricated. And it's better. It just gets better. But if you don't show up and do that first awful mile, which sometimes it's not, but don't do that first part, then you won't get the better part. You don't get to the good part. So, yeah. Yeah, show up.
0: I feel like that, that rings true for my running experience. The first mile is always truly the worst. <laughs> Very often. Like
1: I said, that's why I stopped saying.
0: So, so maybe, maybe wrapping up, sort of like now that you've run run marathons, what's uh, what's sort of next for you? I know you mentioned that um, you have like a meditation book um, coming out soon. So, are there any like teasers that you could you could share?
1: Yeah, well, the um, the book is called "Make Every Move a Meditation," and the idea is that you can meditate while you're moving. And so, when we read you know, I mean, you know, most of the things you read about meditation practice, they talk about sitting, they talk about posture, they talk about having an erect posture and um, sitting still, sometimes cross legged or on a chair. But it's usually still, i going to walking practice. Kitan Han, who died recently, was very, very uh, influential in making walking meditation kind of a thing. And, um, but even he did it very slowly. I mean, he walked at normal pace, but, but slowly. And, um, there's a couple other people now that are, are um, starting to talk more about running when meditating while you're running. But my idea is that you can be in any position. You can be jumping, you can be standing, you could be running, you could be playing tennis, you could be ice skating. And if you use this formula, which I learned from a man named Shenzhen Yang, he's a meditation teacher, it is you infuse your experience with awareness and equanimity. So whatever the experience is, and you choose an experience to focus on. So it might be something in the visual field. It might be a body sensation. I have a, because I have that ankle issue, I often have sensations in my ankle. Sometimes they're pleasant, sometimes they're unpleasant, sometimes they're neutral. And so they present themselves to me. So I often use that as my, what we call object in meditation. So if I wanna meditate, a choice, while I'm running, I usually can count on those sensations to arise while I'm running. And so I will start running, notice the sensations, and when my mind wanders, I'll very gently bring it back to the sensation. Because the goal in meditation is not even to relax. It's not to calm your mind. It's not to do any of that. It's to bring your mind where your body is, to create an environment in which your mind may slow down your thoughts may slow down especially as you practice over time so the concentration of bringing your mind back to whatever you've chosen and very gently very very gently that's so important because we're so busy beating ourselves up all the time but that calm and concentration brings you into the present moment it relaxes you and that's when you start to get um some of the benefits of meditation that we hear about which are very very similar to the benefits of movement so why not do both so that's the that's the book that's coming out it's available for pre-order already it's called make every move a meditation and um it's if you go to my website meetasweeney.com that's where that's at there's also a free book there too called three ways to heal your mind which is essentially that three-way tool i talked about so it's a free download if anybody wants to have that they can have that So yeah Excited! I worked really, really hard on this book. I did a lot of research for it. I didn't. The book doesn't look like there's a lot of research in it because I tried not to make it, you know, too footnote heavy or that kind of thing. It really has to. But yeah, I wanted to make it. Um, I wanted to make an easy read. I wanted to make it accessible. So hopefully it is, and um, it has a cover now, which we just found a cover. You know, so that's all. You know, if you look online, you can see the cover now. It's just very fun.
0: <laughs> cool, man. I'm I'm looking for uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to this new book and checking out that the the free free resource that you have. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you so much, Nita, for um, sharing your story with 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 us. And I, I hope that this uh helps inspire some listeners to you know just get moving and and showing up for their practice. Yes, me too.
1: Just just a tiny bit it's amazing what a difference always has for me just a tiny bit of any of the, the tools that i use um, makes
0: a huge difference
1: and i hope that will for the other people too so thanks everybody for listening really appreciate it and thank you so much for inviting me it's been a great
0: my pleasure thank you so much